0: So we are uh, we're in a sermon series called Church Without Walls. We are looking at the book of Acts, which is uh, really part two of a two-part volume. The first part is the Gospel of Luke. Luke is a first-century doctor, a physician, and he sets out to write an account of the life of Jesus, and we read this account in the Gospel of Luke. He continues his story by picking up when jesus ascends to heaven and he begins his second part by looking at this this new movement what we would call the church of jesus christ and we're calling our sermon series church without walls because what we have encountered already and what we'll encounter over and over and over again is that that these people really had no no walls certainly no traditional church walls as we would know them but Really, this movement broke across all kinds of boundaries and barriers as they were pushed out, as they were called out, as they pursued God. And so that's what we're looking at. That's what we're exploring together. And uh, just to kind of bring you up to speed, so far we've seen Jesus, uh, just before he ascends, he tells his disciples that they are to wait. They're not really to do anything until the Spirit of God, until the Holy Spirit comes and empowers them, equips them for the mission of God. The disciples gather together. They replace Judas, who had betrayed Jesus. And then they wait, and they wait. And then during the Feast of Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes. The Holy Spirit is poured out. And, and Pastor Peter has been reminding us that it's significant that this happened at Pentecost. Anybody remember Why? Why was this important? Pentecost. What was Pentecost? Someone was listening, Pastor Peter. One person got that. It was a festival of the first fruits. So this was the the Jewish celebration where they celebrated the very first harvest. It was was a a sign that God had been faithful once again to his people. And so they celebrated the first first harvest that had come in, and then they were looking forward to to when the rest of the harvest, the rest of the fruits would come in. And so we've been reminded that it was significant that the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost because when the Spirit of God came, it was a taste of the future, right? And so when the Spirit of God comes, when we experience the Holy Spirit in our lives, we, in a sense, experience the future today, now. In its fullness, no. The kingdom of God continues to come. But the Spirit of God dwells in and among his people. And so we know the future, the fulfillment of the kingdom, the presence of God right now. That's significant. We've also been looking at the fact that the Holy Spirit is poured out for a purpose, for a reason. The Holy Spirit of God is given to the people of God to equip us for Mission. Everybody from here back is totally paying attention. <laughs> you all? <laughs> you sit up, move around, rub your heads on Okay, so the Spirit of God comes and equips people for mission. It's not a magic show. It's not a neat little trick. It's, as, as Pastor Peter says, not that we just get zapped by the Spirit. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, equips us for, everybody say it, mission. The Spirit of God equips us for Mission. And we look, we've looked back into the Gospel of Luke and we've seen that Jesus, when, he, when he's baptized in the Jordan River by his cousin John, he comes up out, of the, out of the water and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descends on him like a dove. He's filled by the Holy Spirit. He's equipped for mission. And then what happens? He's led into the wilderness. Coincidence? No. Not coincidence. Jesus is led into the wilderness where he's confronted by the enemy by satan and in a sense he he does battle in the wilderness coincidence no we we've been hearing over and over again that when we're empowered by the holy spirit when we follow the spirit of god into the mission of god onto the front lines of the mission of god we ought to expect hardship persecution dry times spiritually that's normal that's normal for the Christian life, for people who are filled with the Spirit of God, who are pursuing God to the front line on the mission of, to experience hard times, dry times, lonely times. It's normal because we're pursuing God, the mission of God, into some difficult, hard places. And we see this happening in the very life of Jesus. And so now we're in the book of Acts and we see the same thing happening with these disciples. The Spirit of God comes on them For mission. Let's put that first slide. So this is, this is, uh, chapter one, verse eight. Jesus, right before he ascends, he tells his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit is going to give you power so that you can pursue the mission of God everywhere. So if that's true, if if just as Jesus was equipped for mission, the disciples are equipped for mission, then just as Jesus experienced persecution, battle, desert time, these disciples too should expect the same thing, right? Right? And so should we. And we're going to see this uh, over and over again in the book of Acts. We're going to see how over and over again these um, mission-oriented, spirit-filled followers of Jesus experience what life on the front lines is like. Okay, so, so, so this is kind of where we are. These things have happened. Uh, we've seen that the, the Spirit comes down on these disciples. They're in this room. They've been waiting for this, this to happen, and then they kind of spill out into the streets, and, they, and they're speaking in all kinds of different languages. Now remember, this is the Feast of Pentecost, so Jews from all around the world have gathered in Jerusalem, have gathered at the temple for this celebration, for this festival. So people who speak all kinds of different languages are now in Jerusalem, and all of a sudden they're hearing these disciples speaking their language. Right? And, and, and so they say, what does this mean? This is the question that these people from all around the world ask. They say, what does this mean? Let me ask you, when was the last time someone asked that question of us? When was the last time, because the Spirit of God was moving in us, because we were pursuing the mission of God to the front lines, that somebody asked of us, what does does this mean? What is going on? How do you explain this? And and the best attempt at answering this question is someone, I can kind of picture some goofball in the back of the crowd yells out, oh, they're just drunk. They're just drunk. Don't pay attention. So that's kind of where we're going to pick up today. So if you want to open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 2. So these disciples are speaking in different languages. This crowd comes around them. They say, what is going on? What does this mean? And then Peter stands up. The other disciples stand up to answer. And I imagine the crowd gets, gets very quiet. So this is a long passage. Uh, so let's, let me go ahead and read this for us. Beginning in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. I just say, I love how Peter doesn't get bogged down with the whole drunk thing. You know, like, I feel like if that, if someone accused us of something like that, we'd form a committee committee to talk about it. We, like, set up a website, like, no, we're not drunk.com or something. You know, like, we'd spend all this time on it, and Peter's just like, it's nine in the morning. They're not drunk, and he just moves on. I love that. I think there's something we could learn about that. Okay, so he goes on, and he, and he starts to quote this Old Testament prophet. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter goes on. People of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and sign, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. He goes on. Brothers and sisters, we all know that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. He's talking about King David, the Old Testament best known king. And not that long ago, King Herod had 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 made this marble monument where David's tomb was. So everybody who hears this knows exactly where David is buried. They can point to it. They've seen it. They've talked about it, okay? So we all know where David is buried. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah." Lord, I pray that as we look at this section, as we look at uh, Peter's words, uh, that you would help us um, help us to understand, Lord, what it was that He was describing to this crowd. Uh, would you help us to understand His passion? Would you help us to understand what it may have felt like to be in the crowd that day and to have heard these words? Holy Spirit, would you convict our hearts? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to cover some verses today. More than just one or two. Um, Here's here's what I think is happening here. Um, Peter gives what some scholars call the first sermon. I don't think that's right. I don't think it's a sermon because what I'm doing right now is a sermon. I prepared looked at the Bible, spent time, and now I'm preaching. Peter didn't get to do that. He was just put on the spot. People just started asking questions, and he's giving answers. So I I think this is not so much the first sermon as it is, just the first kind of public response to questions about the gospel. So really, I think that what we see in the text today is very applicable to all of us. This isn't just for preachers. This isn't for people who give sermons. This is for any of us who at any time are going to talk about Jesus, okay? And I think in this first response, there's four pretty obvious themes that that Peter moves through. So what I want to do is I just want to kind of talk through those four themes and then look how the people respond to those, okay? First theme is hope. The first thing that Peter does is he begins to talk about the crowd's hope and their expectation. He explains what they've just experienced, right? So they see these people coming out, speaking in different language, and Peter begins ex- explaining what they see. But the way he does it is he connects what they've just experienced to a hope that they have. How does he do it? He, he, he looks to the prophet Joel, right? That, that section that we just read through in the last days, God is going to pour out his spirit. Your young men, your young women, you know, these things are going to happen. Now, this was familiar. The crowd knew the prophet Joel, the, the, the crowd understood this expectation. So, um,. We're, we're in a kind of interesting time historically at this point because the the, the the Jewish people, they knew their heritage. They had a heritage where prophets from God came and spoke truth to the people. But there had been a long time, literally hundreds of years, between the last prophet and where they were at that point. And, and the Jewish expectation was that one day prophecy would once again begin. One day God would once again send his prophets to his people to speak truth, to proclaim the word of the Lord. That was the hope. That was the expectation. And, and, and the expectation was that once prophecy began again, that would kind of usher in the messianic age. That would, that would usher in the time when the kingdom of God was going to come, when prophecy started again kingdom of God was was going to come. What did that mean? Well, the kingdom of God, for those in this crowd, meant that the the temple was going to be purified and cleaned. It meant that the Roman oppressors were going to be driven out, and that once again, the nation of Israel would would know what it was to be an autonomous nation. And they would have this Messiah, kingly, priestly figure who would lead them. So that was the hope. That was the expectation. So right away, Peter connects this hope By going to the prophet Joel, this hope for this this prophecy to begin, for the messianic age to start, for the kingdom of God, he connects that hope with what they just experienced. These people pouring out, declaring the wonders of God in different languages. Do you see see that? I'm going to take that as a no. Let's try this. A friend of mine who teaches at a seminary in California, he says what you and I are called to today is to be cultural interpreters. What Christians today are called to be is people who interpret what God is doing in our day, in our time. So, the expectation for you and I is that God is active in our world, yes? 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 Okay. So God is active in our world. But people who do not know Jesus maybe don't know Uh, how to interpret God's activity in our world. And so this friend of mine, he says, our job is to connect people's experience with what God is doing, to be cultural interpreters. Okay? Some of you still look confused. Let me let let someone else do the talking. N.T. Wright, in his book, Simply Christian, uh, let's see, let's put this up. He he talks about having uh, echoes of a voice. He says that every person all of humanity, has in us these echoes of a voice, these things inside of us that point to something different. He says we, have, we all have a longing for justice, the quest for spirituality, the hunger for relationships, and the delight in beauty. Would you agree with this? Does that make sense? Like, yeah, most people, wherever they are spiritually, would. okay, so then he goes on, let's see, next slide. N.T. Wright then says about this, the Christian story claims to be the true story about God and the world. As such, it offers itself as the explanation of the voice whose echo we hear in the search for justice, the quest for spirituality, the longing for relationship, the yearning for beauty. None of these by itself points directly to God, to any God, Let alone the Christian God. At best, they wave their arms in a rather general direction, like someone in a cave who hears an echoing voice but has no idea where it's coming from. So what N.T. Wright is saying is that all of us inside of us have these these longings for justice, for beauty, for relationship, etc. He said, and what Christianity does is it it describes what is true. About God and how that connects with what is innate in all of us. That's what my friend calls cultural interpretation. We we're called to connect people's experience with the living God, how God is active. This is what I think this is what Peter is doing here. This is what Peter is doing here. See, you just you just saw this thing. You saw these people speaking in different languages. Now let me connect that with your hope of what God is going to do, this thing that you've been longing for, that God would come, pour out his spirit, and make all things right, connecting their experience with their hope of what God was going to do. I I can't tell at all if this makes sense to you. A couple, yes, good, okay. We have about 10% of the people, great. Well, there's four themes, so like maybe you'll get 50% of them, that would be great. Okay, then the next theme. So he starts with hope, and then right away he moves to talking about Jesus, which is a good move. <laughs> if you ever have a question, just start talking about Jesus. Okay, so uh, verse 22. After quoting this, this section about the prophet Joel, he says to the crowd, Peter says to the crowd, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourself. No. Let's just, we'll stop there. Verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth. Now, most everybody in the crowd all of a sudden knew who Jesus was, right? Jesus, pretty common name, but then he connects it to Jesus of Nazareth. And remember what had happened just before this? Trial, conviction, crucifixion. Everybody knew Jesus of Nazareth. I, I think even if, even if you had traveled a long way to come for the Feast of Pentecost, even if you were from out of town, you had probably heard about what had just happened. It, it was a big deal, right? So immediately, Jesus of Nazareth, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm tracking. I know what you're talking about. Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited to you by God by miracles, wonders, and signs. Now, I'm pretty sure that this is the moment where the crowd starts to get really quiet. Because when Peter says this, he's, he's once again tapping into this, this expectation of what God was going to do for his people. Uh, let's put the Luke uh, passage up there. So Jesus, um, uh, that's, that's the Romans one. Do we have Luke? If we don't, that's okay. That's all right. I've got my Bible. So, so Jesus uh, is confronted by the religious experts, and they are, um, they're trying to sort of debunk what he's doing. And so they say, well, you're getting your power from somewhere else, not God, from somewhere else. So Jesus kind of goes into this explanation of where his power comes from, and he's explaining these things. And then there's this very important verse, chapter 11 of the Gospel of Luke, verse 20. Jesus says, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Really important, really, really important thing. You could, you could that drive out demons. You could, you could connect that. You could substitute that with what Peter says, uh, the, the, the miracles, the wonders, the signs. So Jesus says, look, if, I'm, if I do these things by the finger of God, again, it's not an interesting little magic trick. It's not something to entertain you. Now, what does he say? If I do this, the kingdom of God has come. So 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 Peter's Peter's going back to Jesus' life. And he's he's just basically describing Jesus' life. Jesus was a man who did miracles, wonders, signs. And he said, in doing so, he was accredited to you by God. God was doing something through Jesus. What was God doing? Establishing the kingdom of God, which you had hoped for, your expectation. Do you understand kind of what's going on behind the scenes here in people's minds as they're listening to this? What's the next thing that, that people start thinking right now? Jesus is dead. Right? They all know who Jesus of Nazareth is. They all know about the, the trial, conviction, and the crucifixion. And Peter says, Jesus of Nazareth, through whom the kingdom of God came, who God accredited through miracle signs, and wonders. Dot dot dot. And everybody's thinking, Jesus is dead. Jesus is dead. I I don't know. I just I think it was really quiet at that moment, kind of like it is right now. So Jesus, who is born of a virgin, Jesus who proclaims the year of the Lord's favor, Jesus who proclaims release of the oppressed, who heals the sick, who welcomes the outcast, he's dead. So we're going to move to the third theme now and this I'd like to ask you a favor some of you. I don't want to um I don't want to talk about this third theme. I I prefer to skip it. Um but Peter doesn't. So I won't, but I'd like to ask you to pray for me as I talk right now and pray for us as we hear right now because the things Peter says I think you'll get the idea here. Let's put up uh, verse um, 23. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Um, not, Not everybody who's hearing these words was there when Jesus was crucified, right? We've already established that because these are people from all over the world. There are plenty of people who found out about the crucifixion after the fact. Does Peter make any distinction between those who were there and those who weren't? No, that's the right answer. This is the part that I don't want to talk about. Because Peter's language here is you all crucified. You all are responsible for the death of the one who was accredited by God through miracle signs and wonders. You are all responsible for the death of the one through whom the kingdom of God has come. And I have to believe that if Peter included everybody in the crowd in that statement, that um, we're all included in that statement as well. I have to believe that if Peter were talking to us, he wouldn't change one single thing about who crucified Jesus. You did. We did. So that doesn't sound very fair, does it? Because we weren't there. And maybe some of us would like to think that if we were there, we would have tried to rescue Jesus or something. It's not fair, chaos okay, said. It. It's not fair that the Son of God left heaven, came to earth, and died so that evil and injustice would be defeated. That wasn't fair. It wasn't fair that God sacrificed Himself for your sins and for my sins. That was not fair. It wasn't fair that while you and I were oblivious, sinning happily, rebelling, that in that moment, Christ chose the cross so that nothing could stand between us and God. That wasn't fair. Let me just be, let me be as blunt as I can possibly be here. Your selfish motives Crucified Jesus. Your unjust actions crucified Jesus. Your narcissistic thoughts crucified Jesus. Your self indulgent sexuality crucified Jesus. Your racist thoughts and words crucified Jesus. Your idols of food and entertainment crucified Jesus. Your objectification of your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your fiancé, crucified Jesus. Your instant gratification at other people's expense, crucified Jesus. Your ignorance of the poor and the oppressed, crucified Jesus. Your desire for power and control, crucified Jesus. Your deceit, crucified Jesus. This is a theme that runs throughout the New Testament, and we can't avoid it. I would love, I would love to skip over it. I would love to talk about, or just about the victory of God on the cross, what God accomplished through Jesus' death on the cross But the theme throughout our scriptures is that I am responsible for the death of Christ. That you are responsible for the death of Christ. If, if, if you're not a Christian today, this might, I don't even know how this sounds to you. The reality of of our faith, the reality of relationship with Jesus is that we have to be people who are really clear about our need for Jesus. We have to be a people who are really clear that our sin led to the death of our Savior. And Christians, we can't... We cannot forget this. This is the bizarre thing about the Christian life for so many of us is that we have this moment, this conversion moment, where we are totally aware of our sinfulness. We are totally aware of the things that we have done that led to the death of Christ. And we're thankful and we accept the grace of God. We are so thankful, and then we kinda of, we turn from that. Do you know what I'm talking about? And we kind of forget, we kinda, of, I'm not so bad. I'm doing pretty good. And you know what happens when we do that? The cross of Jesus Christ gets smaller and smaller and smaller in our lives. Listen, this is the paradox of our faith: is that the cross only gets big when our understanding and knowledge of our sinfulness gets big? Did you see that? When we think that we've got together, when we think that we haven't done anything that led to the death of Jesus Christ, the cross, the gospel gets really small in our lives because we don't need a savior. Now, let me make a guarantee to you. This is my guarantee. Your sinfulness, your wickedness, your your rebelliousness will never, can never be bigger than the cross of Jesus. No matter what you've done, what you're doing, what you will do, the cross of Jesus Christ will always, always be bigger than that. Christians, new community, we we can't just be known for our passion for the mission of God, the victory of God. We have to also be known as people whose view of ourself is really small and whose view of the cross is huge. That makes sense. Thank you. I guess, like I said, I don't, I don't want to talk about that because that means I have to look at my own stuff, my own sinfulness. Let's look at the fourth theme because we can't, we can't stop there. What's the fourth theme? You probably guessed because it's all over this passage. Verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Language here is like child birthing language. The agony of death could be translated the pangs, P-A-N-G-S, like birth pangs of, of, of giving birth. And, and, and Peter says it was impossible for the grave to hold Jesus. You, you, it's, you could kind of say um, it, it, was, it was impossible for the grave to hold Jesus just as it would be impossible for a pregnant mother to hold a baby ready to be birthed in her womb. It's not, can't happen. Not possible. The son of God could not be contained by the grave is what Peter is saying here. It couldn't happen. It couldn't be done. And so he was resurrected. now, What was the the, the expectation here for resurrection? The Jews were were, were expecting that the resurrection would happen one day. There was kind of debate about what that would mean, what that would look like. But generally, the expectation was that one day, this resurrection would happen when when God's reign was, was established. And so as soon as Peter says that Jesus has been resurrected, the one accredited by God, the one who establishes the kingdom of God. As soon as he says that, 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 that he was resurrected, um, there's this, I think, this kind of energy in, in, in the crowd. Maybe some murmuring that starts happening. Right? Because again, for them, this isn't just like, oh, yeah, cool, raised from the dead. That's great. That's interesting. That's fascinating. This was something fundamentally has shifted in the universe. If Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was raised from the dead, then something massive, something huge about our world has changed, has shifted. He, he, he looks back to, to David and kind of tells the King David story to, to say even King David was looking forward to this day when one of his ancestors would be resurrected, when, wouldn't, when, when he wouldn't be defeated by the grave. Peter goes on to say, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to this fact. Peter says, we were there. We saw it. Let me take a quick poll. How many of you grew up in church where you heard the word witness regularly, or witnessing? Put it up. Put it up. Put it up. up. Okay, put them down. How many of you have a witnessing phobia? So good to know you're not alone. So, so kind of some of the church environment that I come up in, um, witnessing was this scary thing. It involved laws, generally four of them. <laughs> I was like, which one comes first, and you know, like keep them in order. Or it involved the really bad tracks. <laughs> and like giving them to strangers and like, or, or the worst one was um, talking about like people telling stories like when I, I was flying somewhere, I was seated in the jet. You know, right? And I had this powerful conversation. I witnessed to the person next to me the whole way from California to Miami or whatever. It like spoiled flying for me, you know, because i felt so guilty the whole time I'm on the jet, you know, if I'm not leading people to Jesus. Um, what is witnessing? Witnessing is describing something that you saw, right? It's describing something that you experienced. If you're going to be called as a witness in court, it's because you saw something. You experienced something. Being a witness is simply being somebody who saw something, who experienced something, who was changed by something. And Peter says, we, we're all witnesses to the fact that Jesus Christ was resurrected. Verse 33, Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Now watch this. Peter's witnessing not just to the past that Jesus was resurrected, right? We do that. As Christians, we tell the Christian story, the Jesus story of what God has been doing through Jesus Christ. We witness to the past, but he's also witnessing to the present. What just happened? Holy Spirit being poured out? That was God. That was Jesus. Do do we have something to witness to in the present? Do you have something to witness to in your life right now or is it just the past? Have you asked God to be active in your life now? Are you expecting the Holy Spirit of God to be doing something in you now that you can witness to now? Or is it simply witnessing to the past which is great, important, has to be done, have to be connected to that story. But Peter witnesses to the present moment as well. What just happened? That was God. That was the Holy Spirit. What do we witness to? What do we witness to? Um, Look at verse 36. We put verse 36 up there. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Lord. Same word for God. Same word for sovereign. Same word for ruler. God has made this Jesus Lord. We witness to the lordship of Christ, of Jesus. What does that mean? It means that we don't have any other ruler it means that when you go into the voting booth on Tuesday, you need to be really clear in your mind that you're voting for a president who's going to be around for four years, maybe eight years. But your ruler, your Lord, is Jesus. For Peter, this is a bold statement. He's saying, uh, my Lord's not Caesar. Caesar. Who has the power to kill me right now? It's not any of the Herods who have the power to kill me right now. It's not any of the religious leaders who have the power to ostracize me, to condemn me, to cast me out right now. My Lord is Jesus Christ only. Because why? Because God has made Christ Lord. And, and, He is Messiah, He's Christ. Same word for uh, anointed one. Same word for deliverer. Same word for savior. Peter says, Jesus Christ has been exalted to Lord and savior. We witness not just to the lordship of Christ, we witness to what Christ has done in our lives. Intimately, personally. Do you see this? Do you see both of these? How about people in the back? Do you see this? Lord and Christ, ruler and Savior. Witness is not complicated. I mean that witness is this is what this is what Jesus has done. So I've experienced it, and so He's my Lord and my Savior. I think I'm going like, to market that as like the David Swanson witnessing plan. <laughs> if I can come up with a few steps, it'll probably sell really, really well. That's all it is. That's all witness is. This is what you and I are called to. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. There it is again. Both Lord and Messiah. Imagine the crowd hearing this. This is devastating. This is like an emotional roller coaster for them. Because the hope for Messiah, the ruler and savior sent by God, has been crucified by them. The one who is now seated at God's right hand suffered death on a cross because of humanity's rebellion. Peter says, you crucified the one who who poured out the Holy Spirit today. Who caused the wonders of God to be proclaimed today. You crucified him. This is the response, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Uh, so how do you know if when you're talking about Jesus, if the Spirit of God is active, if people ask questions? What do we do? What, what does this mean? What do we do with this? Let me, let me be as really, really clear about this. Christians, your job is never, ever to coerce anybody into being a Christian. Your job is to never manipulate anybody into being a Christian. Your job is never to guilt anybody into becoming a Christian, into becoming a follower of Jesus. If you're not a Christian here today, and, and someone, a Christian, has ever done that, has ever manipulated you, guilted you, tried to coerce you into being a follower of Jesus, that was wrong. That was ugly, and that was not Jesus. Uh, I'll, I'll apologize to you for that, because that shouldn't happen. Because the Christian's role is simply to witness to what the resurrected Lord and Messiah has done. We tell stories about what Jesus has done in our lives, in the history of this world. That's what we do. Whose job is it to to bring somebody into the arms of Jesus? Holy Spirit. You're not the Holy Spirit. You're not God. You don't have that power. We're storytellers. We witness to what God has done in us. That's it. And then we pray that the Holy Spirit does what only the Holy Spirit can do. Is anybody unclear on that? Uh, let's go to the. Uh, let's go to Peter's answer, verse thirty-eight. They ask, what should we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is so gospel. This is so grace. Right? Because Peter doesn't say, okay, well, I've got this program that you need to do now. Got this class that you need to participate in. I have to check off the list to make sure you have all the right beliefs. I, I needed to, like, check your behavior to make sure you're not doing anything that you shouldn't do. What do we do? Repent. Turn around and walk towards Jesus. And be baptized. Identify with Jesus Christ. Submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Your sins will be forgiven. The thing that has kept you from God, the thing that Jesus went to the cross for, your sins will be forgiven. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's pretty complicated, huh? I want to take some notes on this part. This is the gospel. This is grace. Peter has these people right now. They're they're, they're desperate. They're cut to the heart. What can we do? He could have gone a lot of different directions right now. He could have required a lot of different things from them right now. The blue screen of death up there. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. Your sins are going to be forgiven and you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Gospel, grace, gospel, grace, gospel. That's it. Does this seem complicated to anybody? This shouldn't be complicated. It gets complicated when we make it complicated. It gets complicated when we mistake gospel for religion, grace for rules. That's when it gets complicated. Um, I, don't know, I don't know how you hear this today, um, but I want to suggest to you a few different responses. Some of us today need to be crystal clear that we're responsible for this cross. Some of us today need to be crystal clear that, that our sins, our rebellion, our selfishness put Jesus on this cross. Because for some of us, this cross is really, really small in our lives right now. The gospel has no power in our lives right now because we've got a pretty high view of ourselves. Some of us today need to be really, really clear that we contributed, that we are complicit in Christ's death on the cross. Uh, But some of you, some of you need to realize that this cross is empty. Some of you are, 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 are tangled up in guilt because of your sins. Uh, Some of you are, are bound up in kind of religious confusion because you're aware of your stuff, your garbage, your sinfulness. And what you need to know today is that the cross of Jesus Christ is empty. That Jesus Christ was resurrected, that the grave could not hold him. that Jesus Christ has been resurrected as Lord and Messiah and is even now pouring out his Holy Spirit to us. If you're bound up with guilt and anxiety, the cross is empty. The cross is empty. And if you're not a Christian here today, (laughs) repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us. Uh, I, I want to invite you during these last time of of prayer and singing. If you want to come and just be at the cross, if you want to come and meditate on what happened at the cross, if you need to be reminded that your sin led Christ to the cross, if you need to be reminded that the cross of Jesus Christ is empty today and that there is no guilt or condemnation, or if you need to come to the cross for the first time and ask for the forgiveness of sins and the gifts of the Spirit, I invite you to come to the cross. You can come at any time while we're singing, while we're praying. Lord Jesus Christ, resurrected Messiah, risen Lord, we crucified you. And yet you chose the cross. And so, Lord Jesus, as your people today, would you, would you make it clear, would you make it clear how desperately we need you? Would you make it clear how powerful your resurrection was that changed not just the course of history, that invited us into relationship with you? You are our Lord, Lord, You are our ruler, but you are our savior as well. And we thank you and we praise you. We honor you for that risen Christ, Lord of all. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. You are followers of the risen Christ. You are children of the Lord of the universe. And while we are complicit in the death of our savior, we are also forgiven. Because our Savior was resurrected. The grave could not hold him. New community. Go this week and live as children of the living God. Those convinced of the gospel. Those clear in just how huge the cross must be in our lives. Go as witnessing followers of the risen Jesus, witnessing to what Jesus has done and what he is doing right now. Lord, we pray these things in the name of your son, our savior, our Lord, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. See you next week.